This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and training camp opens on Thursday this week for the Seattle Seahawks. And one of the unfortunate things that happened around the beginning of the football season is that it, with the beginning of the football season, it rarely brings good news. From the time camp starts to the time the season actually kicks off week one, about the best news you can hope for is that everyone stayed healthy and for our team to be starting the team at full strength. But apparently that will not be happening because today we learned that Jaron Reed, one of the guys this season uh, that the Seahawks were counting on their week one, will be missing for the first six games of the season. And to come on to talk about it, I've brought on Nathan from the Seahawks Nest podcast. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm, I was good until uh, until I received this news. This, <laughs> this was uh, quite the downer. Yes. And it came in early on Monday. You know, I thought the NFL was supposed to save this news for the end of the week, you know, right before the weekend. So that nobody so that we don't have all week to talk about it. Now, this is going to be the thing we talk about until training camp starts. And you're and you're totally right with your point about the no news is the best news during training camp. You know, you just want those fluff stories about best shape of his life and his learning the playbook. That's all you want to hear. You don't want to hear guy gets hurt, guy gets suspended. Those are the stories that that you, you're trying to avoid during the preseason and we did not get away with it this year with Jaron Reed's getting suspended for six games from an incident back in 2017 and I I vaguely remember there being an incident but because there really hasn't been any news on it it felt like it went away and then today the NFL announcing the the six game suspension Jaron Reed tweeting out an apology saying I apologize to those close to me including my family the entire Seattle Seahawks organization and fans of the team for putting myself in a position where I could be disciplined by the NFL while I totally disagree with the decision of the NFL I still must accept it and take responsibility for the situation I have learned from this and will do everything I can to make my friends family teammates fans and Seahawks proud of me moving forward so what I get from this tweet is that I think the appeal process has been exhausted and this is the acceptance, this, the point of acceptance from Jaron Reed. Yeah, I mean, they must have uh, given Levy to suspension earlier. He's challenged it. It's gone this long. Um, I hate talking about this without knowing any more details because I do remember the story from 2017 and I don't. I remember that the police didn't pursue anything. They didn't find any evidence. They didn't end up uh, pursuing or prosecuting. So I, I like, like you, I thought it was, well, that's it. You know, a guy made a mistake or, you know, got in a fight and it got heated with an argument with his wife. And then that was it. It's over now. But now it, it comes back two years, two years later, uh, we got Goodelled. <laughs> and, and it feels like it's, it's almost personal now because it's coming on the heels of the Michael Kendricks eight game suspension for, you know, pleading guilty to insider trading. And that was the thing that struck me about the six game suspension. Aside from the fact that we don't know uh, what he did and I'm, I'm, we can guess on the time frame because we have that report of the incident. And, you know, you brought up a wife. I, I don't know if Reed's even married or oh, yeah, I, I think it was like a girl. I think the original story was like him and his girlfriend on an argument in Bellevue is 3 a.m. Those are the only details that I remember. Yeah. So 3 a.m. Like See, really nothing, good, at night. nothing good happens at 3 a.m. So, no, that, that could be bad. But it does put him in a unique category because Kendricks had the eight game suspension. Uh, you have one of the biggest suspensions levied by the personal conduct policy by the NFL, which went to Josh Brent 
a former Cowboys nose tackle who was suspended 10 games after being convicted of manslaughter. And then you have Michael Kendricks with the eight games for insider trading. You have Jaron Reed, the six games uh, for the incident. We don't have any details about. Then you drop down, you have Greg Hardy, who was originally suspended for 10 games and then reduced to four games after he was found guilty of assaulting his ex-girlfriend. And then I think the hardest thing to take with this is the fact that Tyreek Hill, who we heard on tape threatening the same woman that he previously pled guilty to assaulting. And his kid mysteriously broke his arm. Right. And just last week, we found out that he gets zero games. Uh, Do you think that there's like a price is right wheel in Roger Goodell's office? And when he gets one of these, you know, he just gives it a hearty spin and then whatever number it's closest to, you know, like if it's a dollar, he gives him 10 games. If it's it's 60 cents, he gives him a six, you know, like they just spins the wheel and whatever happens, happens. I feel like that would at least bring more consistency if that were the case. There's no consistency to how this is applied at all. And, you know, one thing. So I have a conspiracy theory about why Goodell is applying this conduct policy in this way. And I think it's because in the upcoming negotiations, he needs something that he can give the players because he's going to ask for something else. Right. And this conduct policy being clarified and consistent is something that the players union is really going to want to fight for because it's like so wild how consistently it's it's just completely random. Like you just less it off four different stretches for four totally disparate things. And they all if you would have asked me to guess how many games each one of those things was, I would have been way off. Like being convicted for manslaughter. I feel like that would be the indefinite uh, suspension like Adrian Peterson got initially. Yeah, the. The Adrian Peterson suspension is a good example of like maybe the way this should be. But then I don't know. And then there's guys who like got cut by their teams, but never really suspended. But then they got suspended when they came back, like um, the Browns running back Kareem Hunt. You know, it's like there's just all this weird stuff going that happens with this that I don't I don't really understand. With the suspension, I, I am like you. It does make me uncomfortable because we do know John Schneider's stance on. And this came into play when Frank Clark was drafted. You know, any player found to hit a woman was not going to, you know, not welcome on the Seahawks. And when Jaron Reed gets suspended for six games and he's kind of in that category of, you know, other guys who have been suspended over the last couple of years who have gotten six games uh, was Roy Miller with, uh, you know, domestic battery charges. Uh, and I think he was with the Buccaneers. You had Giants kicker Josh Brown, you know, former Seahawks kicker Josh Brown, who was suspended for six games after similar accusations. And then you had Ezekiel Elliott, who was also suspended six games. So knowing those former cases and knowing the NFL. And so we have some consistency there. And that makes me a little uncomfortable, not knowing the full details of what Jaron Reed did. It's it's hard without knowing everything that happened. And that's what makes you wonder, like, what did the NFL investigators uncover? What were they what were they thinking? You know, what what's their line of thinking? Because if the police didn't find any evidence, I have a hard time believing that the NFL has some like extra evidence that they don't. It's just that that kind of weirds me out. Like their private investigators came in and found something that the police didn't and then chose not to tell the police because the police chose not to press charges. Like it all just doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. It's just it's bizarre. It's the most bizarre thing. And it's it's consistently inconsistent, which is uh, basically the only thing you can count on. Well, One thing that uh, we're going to have to count on for the Seahawks moving forward is figuring out what to do with a big hole now up front for those first six games of the season. You know, Clinton Bonner came on the podcast here last week as we were talking about some of the big questions that we have for the Seahawks and where they're going to generate the pass rush was one of our it was our second biggest question that we brought up. 
Now with Jaron Reed out of the picture, filling that pass rush is going to be a lot more difficult. And it's not it's not just on the the pass rush side too. Uh, Jaron Reed is a is a premier run stopper as well. You know, there's only four defensive tackles that rank in the top 15 in both pass rush productivity and run stop percentage. Keem Hicks, Grady Jarrett, Kenny Clark, and Jaron Reed. I mean, Aaron Donald didn't even do it. So it just gives you an impression like this guy impacts the game so much, all three downs. And it's it's rough to have a guy like that just not not there for the first six weeks. And we faced some good teams in the first six weeks, too. Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, uh, you know, Jared Goff and the Fighting McVeighs, uh, the Browns. Those are those are going to be really tough games with uh, a worse pass rush and a worse running uh, run stop. Yeah. Well, and even beyond those first six weeks, you have to wonder, too, with Jaron Reed going into the final year of his deal. You know, is his future with the Seahawks now in jeopardy because there's free agents out there? You know, we saw them bring in a top Rubin as a potential uh, interior defensive lineman. They could go back to someone they know. They, there you have that run stopping presence. You're not going to get the pass rushing presence. Uh, Corey Legit is out there on the free agency market. Former San Diego, t- former Los Angeles Charger. I do it. I do it every single time, and I probably will never stop. And I think it's because I feel bad for the the city of <laughs> the city I, of. I don't San have a problem Diego, with the LA the LA know? Rams for whatever reason. I I very rarely ever refer to them as the St. Louis Rams anymore. But San Diego Chargers. Huh. I, oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't do it either. Something about it. What is it? What is it about the city of St. Louis that we hate? I guess <laughs> that's the real question. <laughs> yeah, there. A Ty Rubin is like the obvious like plug in. Like they already brought him in for a workout. They already were thinking about signing him. So it's 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 pretty easy to see that that's one guy they're probably going to bring in at least to try to compete for that job. And this is a Pete Carroll classic right here, right? Always compete. Go get some guys and tell them that they have a chance to win. Uh, I think they should try to tempt Kyle Williams out of retirement. That's that's the uh, that's number one. No, he'll never do it. He's a Buffalo Bill for life. It's it's tough. It, it's tough. Um, Mo Wilkerson's corpse is still out there. You could uh, you could go try to <laughs> try to get him. I don't. There's not a lot of options at def- interior defensive. Line. I think he got picked up for DUI too, so he could have another suspension coming. Yikes! Uh, is Clinton McDonald a free agent still? You can go get him. He knows. Uh, he knows we how have to be the a guy. Seahawk. You know, while we're we're looking in the wrong spot, Nathan, I think we need to look within our own team and just say Puna Ford is going to be awesome now with more playing time up the up in the inside. So Puna Ford is was excellent last year, and he is a people mover on the inside. Um, uh, a, a guy that I always compared him to is a as a guy who just uses his lower body to shift and move people around a guy who was underdrafted because of his body size is like a Jarrell Casey. And that's, that's the, the comp that you want to see him grow into is like, you know, he could be 80% of that guy. Cause it's really hard to be a hundred percent of Jarrell Casey. He's super good, <laughs> but, but that's Puna Forda's up upside. And I, we, he needs to start growing into that role fast because if he doesn't, you know, and we're just out there with Al Woods and uh, these guys, it could be, it could be really hard for us to generate really any pass rush. If Nas Jones could maybe get back to some of that early form that we saw from him, that that could be an opening for him too. Have you been have you been reading about Nas Jones playing a lot more defensive end, the defensive tackle? Do you think that this injury affects him moving back to the inside? Maybe the the suspension. Yeah, or suspension. Sorry, not yeah. injury. <laughs> we can think of him as injured. It, it feels better mentally. I think. <laughs> okay, he's getting he's just getting getting right for the season. You know, he's tuning he's gonna, up. It's just going to take him a few games. He just needs to he he needs a an extended diet. And uh, that's we'll try not to go to the negative places with Jaron Reed. Because that's the thing is, if you're power ranking like our defensive 
linemen, the top two are probably going to miss at least the first three weeks and maybe more than that too, depending on when Ziggy Ans is actually ready to play. Right. That's like huge question marks all along the defensive line. Um, lots of opportunities for guys that are on our team though. Quentin Jefferson, Brandon Jackson, Jamie Mater. Those are guys that maybe were kind of locks to get cut that now are have a huge opportunity to really not just make the team, but also play. Yeah. It's, it's almost good news for those guys. See, you're, you're looking on the positive side. You, you know how to bring up the room, Nathan. I, I am always, this, there's a joke on my podcast that I'm always trying to keep it so positive, trying to look at the right side. It's really hard in situations like this um, because we're looking at a situation here where Barkevius Mingo and Jacob Martin are our best pass rushers now. And that's, that's hard to, <laughs> to start the season right. saying like these two guys need to be daggers, lights out the first three weeks that's that's rough hey i what do you cassius marsh isn't among those top two you don't put cassius marsh ahead of barkevius mingo i mean for every like awesome sacks he's get he's gonna make one play that makes me shake my head and go oh my gosh come on dude you're better than this <laughs> it's if he puts it all together he's great he just needs to like not make any dumb penalties or dumb plays well he has six weeks he can he can backload the penalties and dumb plays into the late in the season so okay so I've talked about this on podcast before, but the other, there are other teams that kind of have skimped on pass rush before and said, like, you can scheme guy, you can scheme for a good pass rush. Do you think that this coaching staff has that has it in them to, like, scheme up a really great pass rush using these guys? When I've gone back and looked at the stats in the past that the Seahawks consistently, no matter the personnel, get about 40 sacks per year. So it does lead me to believe that it is more of a scheme thing. And. I do know that Bobby Wagner has the ability to rush the passer. So with Ken Norton Jr., defensive coordinator, I feel like they could they could scheme things to give Bobby more opportunities too. Oh, dialing up some blitzes. I like this. I like this idea. Some get creative. Well, I yeah. think when you're when you're down to this point, you lose Frank Clark in the offseason. Now you lose Jaron Reed, you know, your top two guys on the defensive line. And you only have Ziggy Anza, who you don't know is going to be there early on in the season. It calls for some creativity. I, I think you're right. I think it's time for them to really uh, go into the depths of the playbook, dust off some things we haven't seen before. Um, they have some guys, some guys that in the secondary too that are pretty good at at a uh, you know being close to the line of scrimmage and to making things happen. Like Trey Flowers was awesome in run support last year. Maybe we see him coming off the edge a little bit. Just some creative, weird stuff that could happen. You know who else was really good about it coming off the edge was Ugo Amadi in college for Oregon. Oh, yeah. Ugo Amadi. I'm so excited about it. I'm a number Ugo Amadi super fan already. Really? Like, yeah. Just like all his college tape is so fun to watch. He's just so good at, at, you know, finding the ball. I'm really excited. I'm actually kind of excited about this secondary. I think there's a lot of like untapped potential here that if Pete can tap into it, it could turn could really turn the corner and be a, a position of strength. There's a lot of like safety talent on this roster that we have been kind of accumulating by using our draft picks. Hill, Thompson, Amadi, Blair. These guys are all high, high draft picks. And of course, Brad. Brad is the best. Yeah. And if the defensive line is going to struggle early on, we need the folks on the back end to be extra special there to start the season. I don't know if we can count on it, but at least it's, at least it wasn't Bobby. I mean, that I think that's the real season ender. If Bobby gets suspended or hurt, it's there's not a lot of coming back from that. I don't think they really kind of put it all on his shoulders this year. I feel like 
it's it's definitely feeling like that. He's in the middle of a contract negotiation as well. What the Seahawks can do to bring our spirits up, get Bobby signed. And and oh, then it'll, it'll just make this week feel it'll bring a nice uh, closure to this week, I think, right before the start of training camp. Because I don't want to be I don't want to be talking about Bobby Wagner contract issues as well throughout the the entire preseason. Yeah, at least I think Bobby Wagner's not the kind of guy who will give the sideline the finger. Um, <laughs> got that no, going for no, us. he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Uh, but I, I'm OK with those kind of guys, too. Oh, <laughs> I love Earl. Earl, I wish him all the best in Baltimore. And I hope we meet him in the Super Bowl. The, um, the Bobby, Bobby Wagner, the contract thing, he's his own agent. And that's like I feel like the ultimate potential distraction, right, is that if we can't you can't really negotiate with him in season at all or talk to him because you don't have an agent to talk to. Yeah. You don't, and you don't want to talk to the guy like during the season. So if they don't get something done by the end of like training camp or the second preseason game, I think that that's just it, that there's they're not negotiating till after the season's over. And it's easy. It's an easy contract as far as I'm concerned. Are, just, is he the best linebacker? Yes. OK. Pay him better than the next best guy. You just beat that stupid Jets contract in terms of guarantees yeah. and total money. It's all you have to do. It's <laughs> it's it's kind of a tough pill to swallow because that con- that Mosley contract is awful on like a number of levels, but oh, sure. it's not awful if you're paying it to Bobby Wagner. And I think Bobby will be okay with just like beating it by a little bit because he knows that that contract is stupid. I think so too. And, and maybe even if it isn't total guaranteed money, but it's AP, you know, annual per year uh, beats it as long as he beats one of the, the main contracts. So he can say, yeah, I did it without my agent and I still the top paid linebacker. However you want to measure it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Then they can get it done. Yeah, I agree. All right, Nathan. Well, really want to thank you for joining me and talking a little bit of Jaron Reed. Like I said, bad news. But, you know, if people you've you got another episode of the Seahawks Nest coming up this week and hopefully you can help pick people up with that, too. Where do people go to find it? Uh, yeah, you can head over to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcast to search for Seahawks Nest. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I am. And I'll be our episodes come up on Tuesday nights. What are you guys talking about? Are you through your your series yet of divisions? NFC West. It's it's uh, it's time. We're, oh, here it is. This, this episode will probably be close to an hour and a half, maybe, because usually the, the NFC West episode goes super long because that you know it's the most important one. I feel like. Well, good. Um, then you and you've been looking at the uh, the division rivals on the Seahawkers as well, right? We have been yes, we have done the Cardinals, we've done the 49ers. and then uh, on Wednesday or Thursday this week we should have have out our episode with the Rams, uh, Rams podcast and lockdown Rams. I was, ho- I was really hoping you'd say St. Louis Rams. I was like, keeping my fingers crossed right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. I'll, I'll, I'll do it on the show just for you. All right. All right. And with that, I think there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.